Well, good morning. As we all know, today is Father's Day. But Father's Day kind of snuck up on me this year. I knew I was preaching today, but earlier in the week, Joel said, you know, just reminded me, hey, it's Father's Day. You might want to think about that. And that was when I found out it was Father's Day. (laughs) Now, I understand that Father's Day, like most holidays, can produce in us a mix of emotions. But it is the one day set aside for us to recognize and honor fathers. After Joel mentioned it to me and I began to think about what I would preach this morning, I started doing some looking into Father's Day and I found out a few things that I didn't know about this particular holiday. I didn't realize that Father's Day was not officially recognized in America on a national level until 1966. President Lyndon Johnson issued a presidential proclamation in June of 1966 recognizing the third Sunday in June as a day set aside to honor fathers. I thought it was interesting because the second Sunday of every May is set aside for Mother's Day and that's been a part of our national way of doing things since 1914. Took over 50 years for fathers to get a place at the table, but better late than never and we can celebrate. But I looked up the official proclamation that Lyndon Johnson signed as president. And it had a lot of things, but I'm going to quote two excerpts that really get at the gist of what he was trying to do. I quote, In the homes of our nation, we look to the fathers to provide the strength and stability which characterize the successful family. If the father's responsibilities are many, his rewards are also great. The love appreciation and respect of children and spouse. In the second excerpt, I also quote, I invite state and local governments to cooperate in the observance of that day, and I urge all our people to give public and private expression to the love and gratitude which they bear for their fathers. Now, if you have a happy home life and a stable marriage and your kids love you or Today is largely happy day and probably Father's Day in your imagination will look something like what President Johnson originally decreed. There'll be cards and perhaps some gifts and if your family lives close by, maybe you'll have dinner or lunch with your family. And for this one day, dads will be the center of attention. But a lot has changed in America since 1966 and a lot of it implicates fatherhood. And the changes in relation to fathers and the family are not positive. In fact, as I read the words of President Johnson, in some respects they sounded quaint because I can't imagine a president today saying that fathers are necessary to a successful family. It's not the modern view of what family life is. You could find countless articles by scholars that would say, well, fathers can have their place, but they're not really necessary. You can do without them. The world has changed in the lives of children and families and it's reflected by the demographics of our country. It's not surprising, but I looked up some numbers from the U.S. Census Bureau, which keeps all kinds of records. And the earliest data I found that was germane to this was in 1968. But it shows the reality of what we see all around us. It's interesting, in 1968, 72% of U.S. households were married couples, a husband and a wife. That number, in 2022, that number was 47%. 
perhaps more specific to Father's Day, if you go back to 1968 and you do some rounding and factor in some things, about 14% of American children under the age of 18 did not live with their father. Stated another way, 85 to 86% did live with their father. Probably doesn't surprise you to say the numbers are very different today. By 2022, 25% of children under the age of 18 do not reside with their father. One in four children doesn't have a father in the home. The number of children being raised by only a mom has doubled in that time. And the percentages are getting worse. The reality is that for vast numbers of people in America, Father's Day isn't what President Lyndon Johnson originally intended. It's not a joyous day honoring fathers as the foundation of successful families. And the reasons are varied. Some of it is the general societal decline that de-emphasizes fatherhood. But there are many other reasons why a day like today isn't just joy and smiles. For some, it's a sad day because their fathers aren't here on the earth anymore. They've died. That was the case with me when I was 17 years old. My dad died in 1984. Other dads will have heavy hearts today because their children are no longer with them. For countless others, their dads are complete strangers. They have no relationship with them at all. The father's not involved, having left the home or never even been a part of the home. And so Father's Day is empty for that child. And there are dads who desperately want to be a part of their kid's life, but for whatever reason, be it divorce or acrimony with the mother or out of wedlock birth, they're prohibited from having any real involvement with their child and today is anything but happy. It's interesting because we're the body of Christ here at Lakeside. We have some of all of this. For some families today will be what the president envisioned. It'll be happy and smiles and it will be great, but others will experience moments of intense sadness today because they don't have a father whom they can celebrate for whatever reason. Or perhaps their child is taken away from them and they can't celebrate. I'm certainly thankful for everyone who will have a happy day and you praise the Lord for that. But I'm mindful of the countless families who don't have happiness as the first thought in their mind on a day like today. And the sadness and the fact that something that should be so joyous is filled with heartache for so many is just one of the effects of sin that ravages this earth. Death, due to the fact that our bodies break down and die physically as a result of the fall when sin entered God's perfect world. The fact that God's plan of a man and woman getting married for life is not the norm anymore is the effect of sinners being married to sinners and too often divorce, which God hates, is the result. The fact that children don't have fathers in the home or aren't raised with their fathers is the result of sin's devastating effect that continues on mankind. Now, I'm not suggesting in any way that someone's responsible for the sins of others. There are children and fathers and mothers today who will be very sad at various times and it's for reasons completely apart from their own personal sin. That's not what I'm saying. 
What I am talking about, though, is the fact that sin taints everything. In all candor, as I think about Father's Day, the first thing that I thought about wasn't my own dad. It wasn't my own children. For whatever reason, I think about my failures as a father and the countless ways that I fell short. I'm reminded that sin has corrupted me as a father. All those thoughts were swirling through my mind at various times as I was trying to think, what would I preach today? I had several options. I could just say Happy Father's Day and then go on to preach a text, but I didn't have a text ready. I finished saying what I wanted to say on Colossians and I haven't started a new book study. And so while my comfort level is always just pick a book and go through it, I wasn't there. I thought about preaching a message which would be typical that I could preach on what does the Bible say about fathers and what you should do. But I just preached in April on Colossians 3, the Christian family including fathers. And then I thought also if I preached about what a Christian father should be, as important as that is, I would just make a lot of people depressed and feel bad and I didn't really want to do that for Father's Day. Some of you may need to hear it, but I trust God can do that work in your hearts. So as I was thinking and praying, I kept going through my mind and two words kept coming back to me. Heavenly Father. And I began to think about Him and the fact that He never disappoints. He never goes away. His love never wavers. He never falls short. He is always faithful. And I realized I wanted to take a different tact on Father's Day and I wanted to talk about our Heavenly Father. I wanted to point us to the reality of the hope that we have because we're members of His household. And whether Father's Day finds you on top of the world smiling and happy or deeply hurt and broken, you still have hope if you know Jesus Christ. So I pray... If you're already happy that today will give you more reasons to praise the Lord and if you're sad, perhaps reflecting on the Heavenly Father who will wipe away every tear will help you today. So I've broken this message out as this. It's going to be four reminders of the hope we have in our Heavenly Father. For this Father's Day, we're going to talk about four reminders we have, four reminders of the hope we have in our Heavenly Father. And the first is this. Our Heavenly Father adopted us despite our failures. Our Heavenly Father adopted us despite our failures. As I think about the truths that led me to craft the statement in that way, I'm amazed continually. If you know Jesus Christ, you are part of the family of God. Galatians 3.26 says this, For you are all sons of God through faith, in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.19 So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. God uses the language of family. He uses the language of a father in addressing us. And I find that interesting because human families in general are a mess. We are sinners you think about it and you go back to the beginning of course sin began in Genesis chapter 3 on a human level when the serpent deceived Eve 
He pretended to be looking out for her best interest and he got her to reject what God had said to follow after her own desires and she took and ate and sin entered the world. Certainly we understand the story. God cast them out of the garden and we understand all of that. What I think is fascinating is the manifestation of what happened and it played out in her own family. Sin entered in Genesis 3. In Genesis 4, one of her sons killed another son because of jealousy. The Bible paints a realistic picture of the impact of sins within families. It began early. It never stopped. We have the account that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous of him. They didn't like him. Aaron and Miriam complained against their brother Moses because they were jealous and God rebuked them. Some Israelites sacrificed their own children to false idols. They killed their children to worship demonic false gods. King David, his son Amnon sexually violated his half-sister Tamar. On and on the list goes in Scripture of family hurting family. Yet we understand if we know Scripture, these are all sinful perversions of God, what God originally created as good. God intended the family unit to be the closest of human relationships and He intended it as part of the created order to be a good thing. In Genesis 1, 27, the verse 28, we read this, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Father, mother, children. Genesis 2.24 For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The first marriage, God's plan for marriage of the unity. Exodus 20 verse 12 Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. In other words, this family unit was sacred to the Lord. So on the one hand, God created the family union, husband and wife and children, to be a wonderful, beautiful relationship. But sin entered the world and corrupted it. And it's never stopped. From the very first family of Adam and Eve, this ideal has never been lived out. The spiral of sin has continued. But I don't have to just point you to scriptures, although scriptures are truth. I believe the scriptures more than I believe my own eyes. But if you've lived at all, you understand sin's effects on families. You've experienced it because you live in a family. You've seen the effects up close, perhaps with your parents or your brothers and sisters, or your children, or your aunts and your uncles, or your cousins, or your grandparents. Divorces, infidelity, violence, addiction to alcohol and drugs, mistreatment or neglect of children, sexual sins, financial problems, on and on it goes. You've seen them in your own families. In fact, most of us from experience have seen lived out in our families the deeds of the flesh cataloged in a miserable list in Galatians 5, verses 19, continuing into verse 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. 
And depending on when you came to Christ, you may have been responsible for some of that in your own family. There's an old saying that I've heard, I think, all my life, but I didn't realize until I looked at it this week. It comes from Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird. I heard it for years, but I'll paraphrase it slightly. The original wording was a little different. But it's this, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You can decide who you want to have as a friend. If they bother you, you go away. But family, you're stuck with. No matter what else, they're your kin. So bear with me as I try and bring together what I'm saying here. We can all think of one or two family members just in our own immediate experience that cause a lot of heartache and misery. It might be brothers and sisters or children or parents or aunts and uncles or cousins, but they are a mess. They cause problems. They're always the subject of family discussion. If they show up at a family event, you pull the kids away because you don't want the kids exposed. You didn't choose them to be in your family, but you don't get a do-over. They're there. That's who they are. The problems came with them. So I want you to think for a second how you think about that person. What you think about their disrupting influence and behavior. The fact that you don't necessarily want to be around them. That you just assume avoid them. All they do is cause trouble. The reality is that's you before a holy God. That troublesome family member's behavior repulses you. It disgusts you. You're exasperated by it. They keep doing the same thing over and over. When will they ever learn? That's who you are before a holy God. Your sin is just repugnant to God as that family member's is to you. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no equivocation. You can't say, well, I'm better than them. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. You are guilty. I am guilty. We are full of the sin that bothers us in other people. And God is not mocked. He hates sin. Psalm chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. If we're honest with ourselves and we stop and think about who we are, we can identify with words that the prophet Nathan said to David, King David, when he was blinded, in the hypocrisy of his own sin. The beginning of verse 7 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. You're that sinner. Now here's where the hope and good news comes in. If we see ourselves for who we really are, what God did for you becomes incomprehensible because God did choose his family and he chose you. 
And he chose you even though he knew what kind of problems you brought with you. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God knew what you were. God knows what you are. And he loved you anyway. And he chose you anyway. 1 John 4.10 And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And even though God knew you were a miserable sinner and he knew the problems that you would bring, not only did he love you and choose you, he adopted you permanently into his family so that he is your father. Romans 8, 15 and 16 expresses it this way, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So understand this on Father's Day. Your heavenly Father chose you to allow you to become a part of his family so that you could call him Abba, Daddy, Father. I can't comprehend that without smiling. I was smiling when I prepared it. I'm smiling in my heart because only God knows what I truly am. There are parts of us that we can hide from even our closest family the horrible thoughts that go through our mind that nobody knows about. The daily struggles with sin that are far greater than anyone else would ever believe. God knows all those things. Hebrews 4.13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And he still says to you, I love you, come to me. I want you to be in my family. I'll be your father. He drew you to himself. John 6, the beginning of verse 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. He did that. So understand whether today was going to be a happy day for you or whether today brings back memories of sadness in an earthly sense. Because of what Jesus did, you can say, Abba. Father, Daddy, to the Creator God of the universe. All the worst things you can think about yourself, all the sins you know you committed, all the sins you know you wanted to commit, all the mess that is your life, God knows it. And He still loves you. And He still welcomes you into His family. It's truly a happy Father's Day for the children of the God of the universe. So the first reminder of the hope we have in our Heavenly Father is that our Heavenly Father adopted us despite our failures. Second, our Heavenly Father will never leave us. 
our Heavenly Father will never leave us. This truth is found throughout Scripture, but it is profound and is important because our Heavenly Father is unlike anyone else on earth. And there are two aspects of this truth that I want to emphasize that I think are equally important. One is that God will not leave us no matter what happens. He will never walk away from us. Hebrews 13, second half of verse 5 and verse 6 is this, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? There's a sense in which that's a promise no earthly father can ever make. I can't make that promise to my kids. My father, who was a wonderful man, couldn't make it to me. And the reason why will become obvious in just a moment. But at its core, this is saying that God will not abandon any of his children. Based on the statistics I alluded to before, there are countless millions of children in America who do not have a father. And I don't doubt millions of them do not have a father because the father doesn't care. He walked away. Perhaps some walked away when they found out that someone was pregnant. They wanted nothing to do with it. They wanted to keep living their lives. So they have nothing to do financially, emotionally, relationally with a child. Others perhaps started out with good intentions, but they just decided, I've had enough of this. I want to walk away. And they leave a family. Some, the problems get bigger and the task gets harder and life is tough. And so they just snap and say, I'm done. And they go away. Understand this, that never happens with our Heavenly Father. He will never abandon us. No matter how much difficulty we cause Him, He will never walk away from us. No matter how much we sin, no matter how much we fall short, God does not condemn us. Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now don't misunderstand me. Sin is serious and God as a loving Father will discipline His children if they try and walk in unrepentant sin. But nothing you do can separate you from God's love. If you're His child, He is a heavenly Father who will not leave you. He'll never walk away from you. It's all because of the work of Christ. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, I repeat that over and over. 1 Peter 3, the first part of verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just, the innocent Christ, for the unjust, the guilty sinners like us, so that he might bring us to God. That's why there's no condemnation Christ took our place. He died the death that our sin deserved. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus paid the penalty for sin in our place. And because of that, the Father drew us to Christ. Jesus brought us to God the Father, and we became a member of His family. We're adopted, and He'll never walk away from us. And unlike an earthly father who, for whatever reason, can avoid his responsibilities, that can't happen with our Heavenly Father. Because he promised and he doesn't lie. For Titus 1-2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. 
Now there is a sense when I phrase it in the way of abandonment that as a father some of us can say well wait I wouldn't do that. In fact I think as much as I know my heart I made that promise in some ways to my family and I've abided by it. I became a father on May 17th 1997 and I didn't leave my family. I didn't walk away from my kids nor did I engage in criminal behavior or something that would have taken me away from my kids through prison or something like that. That's by God's grace only. But as I said before, despite what I just said that I followed through, I still couldn't make my kids the promise that I would never leave them nor forsake them. It might seem inconsistent, but it's not, and it's something that I learned when I was young. I knew before I ever had kids, I knew before I ever was married, that there was something that would separate me from my children if I had them. It's what took my dad away from me when I was 17 years old. It's death. Many of you have felt this hurt. You woke up today thinking about your dad who has died. Your earthly father passed away and it's a reminder of that sad reality. For others, your dad may be physically alive, but through dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that, their body is here, but the mind and the father that you knew is gone. There is no earthly father that will be there for their children forever. It's just not what happens in a sin-tainted world. But can I say this as lovingly and compassionately as I know how? You'll never experience that pain of hurt and separation from your Heavenly Father because He will always be there for you. As long as you're living and breathing, you have a Heavenly Father who's with you. There's a familiar promise that always is brought out at Christmas time, but it's appropriate for any time, and it's talking about the Messiah. Isaiah 9, 6, it will be familiar to you, but again, we normally think about it at Christmas, but I want you to think about it on Father's Day. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. God will never stop being our Father. He's not going to die. We will not be separated from him because he passes away. We have the hope that as long as we are on this earth, he is with us. He cares for us. In fact, we're reminded of that reality by the fact that he sends his spirit to dwell within us. I read it as part of the scripture reading, but I'll read it again in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Some of you today may be feeling lonely. You may feel hurt because of the loss that you have. Let me encourage you, remember that you have a heavenly father with you today, this Father's Day. He won't turn his back on you. He'll never walk away from you. And you'll never experience the pain of separation from him. 
And there's a second aspect of the truth that I do want to briefly mention. Not only will God not walk away from you, but he's never going to revoke your adoption. He brought you into his family and he's never going to throw you out. John 6.37 says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. It's incredibly important truth, particularly when we're feeling the weight of the guilt of our own sin. God will not throw you away. Occasionally you read a news article about an adoption that's gone bad. Several years ago, there was a famous case in Ohio where a couple had adopted a little boy at three months old, and then at nine years old, they decided we can't do this anymore, and they just dropped him off at a government building, walked away. They were arrested, as you might imagine. But sadly, that was not an isolated case. I've read many times of parents who have adopted, or even with their natural children, and they got to the point where they said, we can't do this anymore. We can't have this child in our house. We're done. Can I assure you, no matter what, God will never do that to you? He's never going to kick you out. Again, He won't turn a blind eye to your sin. Don't misunderstand. His hand of discipline will be upon you, but He's never going to cast you away from Him. No matter your sin, no matter your struggles, no matter how far short of your potential you fall, God will never throw you away. You're His. There's a promise that I remember hearing, I'm sure I'd read it before, but I remember hearing at a men's study in Fresno back in the late 90s, and it stuck with me. I was hearing an older man talk about this verse. I've always remembered it. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That includes your sin. Praise the Lord for that security. No matter the struggles, no matter the difficulties, you have a heavenly Father who's never going to leave you and he's never going to throw you out of his house. As long as you're alive, you'll never have a Father's Day without being able to say thank you to your Heavenly Father who's right there. Brings us to a third reminder of the hope we have in our Heavenly Father. He adopted us despite our failures. He will never leave us. And third, our Heavenly Father protects us and provides for us. Our Heavenly Father protects us and provides for us. If you look at the world around us, Today, June 18th, 2023, and you have even a limited knowledge of Scripture, you realize that we live in dangerous times. Things are bad. The world around us is increasingly hostile to everything taught in the Bible, and things are only going to get worse. It's not surprising in that we have an adversary in Satan who wants to destroy us all. 1 Peter 5.8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is evil. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. And yet he disguises his work as though he's doing something good. 
For example, in 2 Corinthians 11.14, it says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, just as he did with Eve, where he came to her and said, Look, I'm here to help you. God's holding back. Let me help you. He does the same thing today. Sadly, we've gotten to the point where we can't even trust churches today in our country. Far too many of them have abandoned biblical truth, but it wasn't a surprise to God that they would do it. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 describe much of American Christianity. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. It's happening in pulpits all across America. And it's not just innocent error. It's demonically influenced and part of Satan's plan to destroy. 1 Timothy 4.1 But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. But again, what makes it so dangerous is that the people doing it look really nice. And they say they're speaking for Jesus. Reading the context around a verse I read just a moment ago, 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. It's always frustrating, and I'm sure it is for you, when you see people claiming to be Christians who are endorsing immorality and the most heinous of sins. And they're saying that it's okay. In fact, there are churches filled with people who are engaged in sin, and yet the pastors are saying, it's not sin. They're doing what Satan did in the garden. Did God really say? No, 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 that's not what he said. It's all a lie. There's a reason countless churches are flying rainbow flags this month and it's not because they're honoring Noah and the flood and God's covenant promise. Satan is at work. There is danger all around us. We have spiritual warfare every time we open our eyes. And yet we see it lived out in the rampant sin going on all around us which is constantly nipping at us and impacting us and in fact calling us to join in. The world is filled with people who are in bondage to Satan and they don't even know it. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 says this, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. We should pay attention to that when we're thinking about our fellow Americans. But verse 26 explains what's going on. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. That's what we're up against. People are pursuing evil and they don't even realize that they're ensnared, that they're being held captive. They don't realize they're being blinded. They're living out their sin and increasingly it's reflected in our society. 
the very first Bible passage I ever taught is what I'm about to read. I was given an opportunity by a Sunday school teacher again back in Fresno. This was the late 90s. And it was in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read the first five verses. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. I still have the Bible in my office that I first was teaching out of, and I wrote something, words to the effect in the margin. This describes America. And it's getting worse every single day. We're living in these days. And when we raise our voice in objection and saying, wait, this isn't good, this is wrong, the world around us looks at us like we're crazy and doesn't understand, why don't you just get with the program? Things have changed. We're moving on, join us. Again, it's explained in Scripture. 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Verse 4. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. In other words, they can't figure out why you don't just do what they do. That's the world we live in in America today. We are truly strangers and aliens in our own country. But understand this. My point's not to convince you things are bad. You see it. They are bad. There's spiritual danger. There's personal danger. Unbelievers are getting more wicked. But we don't have to be afraid. Are they bad? Yes, things are bad. Do they make us sad? What's happened to our country? Yes, they make us sad. Can we as citizens vote and try and, and get people up? We can do those things. But the point is this. No matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens in the world around us, they can't hurt us or take away our salvation. God covers us in His protection regardless of what's going on in the world. 1 John 4, 4, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. We have hope despite what's going on. We don't need to despair. God has given us His Spirit and He sealed us as His children. We are secure. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gives us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. In other words, we are preserved. And no matter what Satan or sinners or this world throws at us, God has us in His care. Please don't miss it. John 10, 27 to 30 is a promise. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Understand Despite all that's going on, you are secure. You are held safely in the hands of your heavenly Father and nothing can touch you. 
Now, of course, can bad things happen? Yes, they can. It's the nature of the world. But even those bad things can't separate you from the love of God. You are safe and secure. And even the bad things that happen are being controlled by our Heavenly Father. Romans 8.28 It's a powerful verse. I remember it. Many of you remember it. But I'm going to read a few verses past it because of the conclusion of what should flow from it. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these... Whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? We need to remember this. The times today are unsettling. They are dangerous. But we don't need to fear politicians or despair over elections or panic because of bad laws or bad people. We simply need to live our lives in obedience to the Lord, showing that we love Him by obeying His commandments. And as we do, we understand we're safe in the Father's hands. Nothing can touch us. And the protection He gives works hand in hand with the fact that He knows what we need and He provides us. The Bible over and over talks about worry and says we shouldn't worry. But we do because we take our eyes off of God the Father and His promises. Everyone has basic necessities of life. Guess what? God knows you need them and He'll take care of it. Jesus said so. Matthew 6, 31 to 34. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? It almost add in the way we think today. Well, what about interest rates? And what about the housing market? And what about the economy? And what about China? Verse 32, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So your lovingly Heavenly Father, He knows what you need and He'll take care of it. Beyond our daily needs, He's given us through His Word everything we need to live this life. It's always sad to me to see Christians that are looking for some new information when you already have everything you need. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. I'd encourage you to think about this. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, everything, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So let me encourage you. Your Heavenly Father protects you and provides for you. You may not have everything you want today, But from the promise of God's word, you have everything you need. Brings us to the final reminder of the hope we have in our Heavenly Father. He adopted us despite our failures. He'll never leave us. He protects us and provides for us. And fourth and finally, our Heavenly Father has given us an eternal inheritance. Our Heavenly Father has given us an eternal inheritance. 
And this really looks to our future. On earth, we understand if you have family member, your parents or other relatives who have financial resources or property, when they die, they can leave you an inheritance. You'll collect it. God does something greater and it's in the reverse order. It's an inheritance for you when you die. I've said over and over that God will not leave you or forsake you while you're living and breathing, but at the moment you stop living and breathing, you get it all in abundance. We will be with our Heavenly Father forever dwelling with Him. The thief on the cross was promised this by Jesus in a few simple words. Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Verse 43. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus was making it clear at the moment you stop breathing because you put your faith in me, you have everlasting life and it is paradise. The New Testament paints this picture over and over and it refers to it as our inheritance. We have a place in paradise and it's reserved for us now. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a review to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Paul stated it similarly in Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. When we leave this earth, we are with Jesus. We're in the presence of God the Father getting the fullness of everything we were ever promised. Not only is he taking care of us now while we're here, but as soon as we die, our Heavenly Father takes care of everything forever. And he's given us his spirit now to seal as a promise to say, it's coming, it's yours. I've thought a lot about heaven since I was first saved. And two scriptures have always jumped out at me. The first one my wife pointed out. Again, a lot of this goes back to my early days of salvation. I remember her pointing it out to me. It's always been in the Bible, by the way. She just pointed it out that I didn't know it. And it's in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Again, I read it earlier in our scripture reading, but it's the beginning of it. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Understand this. For all the uncertainty of this world right now, in our Heavenly Father's house, there's a room with your name on it. You have a place with Him forever. And it's already been prepared by Jesus. And at the moment you die, it's yours. Forever. The other part of the reality of our future inheritance is what we won't have. An undercurrent of what I've been saying today is the fact that some people are sad today. We miss our earthly fathers if we love them. We miss our children if they're gone. If we never had a good relationship with an earthly father, we know we've missed it and it's a sad day. 
But when we get to heaven, sadness is all over. There's a picture of the future in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4 that says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. The older I get and the more hurt and sorrow I see, the more I long for that day. So I hope today is a wonderful day for you on Father's Day. And for those who are going to live out the presidential ideal, praise the Lord for that and give thanks to God for his blessings upon you. For the many who may be sad today, because you lost a wonderful father or because you lost the child or because you never had a relationship with your father or because you had a relationship with your father and it was all bad let me encourage you today to turn your eyes to your heavenly father he made you a part of his family for a reason he'll never leave you nor forsake you and one day You'll be with him forever. For that, all of us can say Happy Father's Day. Please join me in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Heavenly Father. We don't deserve you. We understand how sinful we are. And yet, because of your great love, you looked at miserable, rotten sinners like us and said, come to me, I love you. My son took your punishment. You're my child. Lord, we thank you. I pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ that you will prick their hearts, that they'll understand that there's still room in your household for those who will repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ, that he died in the place of sinners, and he rose again. Lord, for those who have stable and solid families, we praise you for that, and I hope today they'll give you thanks. But for many, today, I pray that you'll turn their tears and sadness into the joy of knowing that you're there for them. You always will be. And one day we'll be with you forever and the sadness will be over. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.